Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to have you with us again. And I'm hoping that today you'll enjoy the words of God which we are looking into and uh, try to share an understanding in regard to how to be united in Christ. But before that, I would like to just uh, introduce our panel. Lija next to me here. Thanks for coming to Bible study, Lija. Thank you very much for being here. And I've got Brenton. Thank you, Brenton. Thank you. Next there, it's Will. Welcome back, Will. Thank you. Good to be here. And Len, it's our facilitator for today again. Thank you, Len, for uh, preparing this Bible study. Yes, hello listeners, and we're glad to be able to share with you today from God's Word. This week um, is the fourth in the study about oneness in the Christian church, and it's called The Key to Unity. Last week we studied from John chapter 17 was the prayer of Jesus. And what Jesus prayed was not just idle words. Jesus cares about people and recognised that his followers would be subject to persecution from outside the church and deception from within. He therefore prayed for protection for his people, that they would remain faithful, committed to him and united in purpose. He knew the church would attract special attention of Satan, the enemy, who would use any means possible to demolish the church and to introduce erroneous beliefs and cause factions to arise. But despite Satan's attempts to cause havoc in the church, it is the bride of Christ. It will survive and a remnant will be saved. And this week... We're considering the topic, as I said earlier, the key to unity. Before we start study discussion, Will, would you just like to pray? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to recognize the disruptive elements in our experience which would turn us away from unity with Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray that you will help us as a church and as individuals to remain pure before you and uh, unite us together in Christ, our Lord and Saviour, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Will. Brenton, to start off today, would you read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5? These are the comments of those verses, and I'm reading them now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, Brenton, what does it mean that God predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters? Thank you, Len. This is a vitally important subject. Many people today believe in predestination, but possibly not, Len, as the Bible explains it. The Greek word for predestined is prurizo, spelt P-R-O-O-R-I-Z-O. Prurizo means to determine beforehand. How can I best explain it? I'll explain it along these lines. It doesn't mean that a person has no choice in the matter. It simply means that this is uh, determined beforehand. I'll explain it this way. Let's say, Nick, you are an eminent neurologist 
and your son, who's growing up, your eldest son, your your determination for your son is that he become a neurologist. You have predetermined beforehand that he will become a neurologist. Your son comes to you at the age of 23 after studying for three years at medical school and says, Dad, this is all too hard. I want to be a teacher. He has a say in what what's happening. The Greek parise means that God has actually determined in, in advance that all should be saved. How do I know that? By If we read Second Peter 3 and verse 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the type of predestination the Bible uh, knows, that Paul was referring to, is a predestination where everyone is predestined to be saved. However, they have a choice in whether they accept God's will for them or whether they choose another way. The adoption issue, Len, is particularly interesting. The very first Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, was adopted by Julius Caesar. In fact, in the first 200 years of Roman life, uh, 12 of the Caesars were all adopted and it was a common practice in their society. It meant that when you were adopted, you received all the benefits of the adoptive parents. And, of course, God in Christ has adopted us as his sons and daughters, which is, which is absolutely fabulous news, I mm. think. Yes, thank you, Brent. Now, I realise that there are people who say, well, God says, I'll have you, 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 and you, and the rest yeah. of you can go jump. But I have written a long letter to somebody who had this belief. Ledger, who did God intend should belong to him according to John 3.16? John 3.16, which says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it means whoever is willing to follow Jesus and accept Jesus as his uh, personal saviour, so through Jesus, this can be accomplished. So we are adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Mm. Yes. God wills that all men should be saved. Ample provision has been made uh, in giving his only begotten son to pay for man's ransom. And those uh, who perish will perish only because they refuse to be adopted as uh, children of God through Jesus Christ. Mm, true. Yes, it's a matter of choice, and it's good to recognize that. We have a choice. Choose you this day whom you shall serve, and so on. Ligia, you very nicely explained that we can belong to God only through Jesus Christ. Will, is there any indication, is there any sort of a a marker, a seal that God's people would have to show that they have been adopted into the family of God. Well, Ephesians uh, 1 verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye had believed, he was sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit's reception is indeed the seal or the indication that uh, we have given us or united ourselves to Jesus Christ. Yes. In fact, 
the Holy Spirit is necessary for a person to even make a decision to follow Christ. I know you've come from a country where there have been lots of divisions. What sort of things are there that divide people in any sense, but also in the church? Well, there is, uh, of course, um, difference of opinions and culture and language and race. I can recall uh, my father was a mine manager and uh, out near our house there was a compound where all the workers uh, for the mines actually uh, lived. And uh, I noticed in the compound the segregated tribes, the Kosa, the Zulu, the Basutu, the Ponda, Shangan and Venda, and um, they, the never the twain shall meet. They'd work side by side in the mines, but they had to live separate. I realized that separation is something that is based on ethnicity. I, I've also wondered, uh, for example, if uh, you think about it, does unity abolish political border posts, restrictions imposed on those who want to call, say, Switzerland as their home? There is, um, I understand that foreigners with no direct blood ties to Switzerland through either birth or marriage must live in the country for at least 10 years before they can apply for citizenship. Mm. Mm. Interesting. The years spent in the country between the ages of 10 and 20 count double points. I, I wondered about all the segregation and I wondered about this ethnic um, diversity or the separations that um, came about. I think it's natural to see these things around us. Yes, and probably in the time when Paul wrote the letters to the churches, there were probably two main divisions, although he speaks of others, and that was those who came from a Jewish background and those who came from a Gentile background. Len, I just want to also mention that when Paul was writing this uh, Words which we are looking uh, mainly today uh, in uh, Ephesians, the letter which Paul wrote to this Ephesians. But Ephesus uh, was a commercial uh, center for that time. And as you look even today in places like, uh, you know, where it's commerce and uh, high interest, there is a very big, you know, variety of ethnicity you know? I think they call that a melting pot yeah and and when you have something like that everyone trying to do whatever he think is best for himself is not easy to be united mm. and Paul it's coming particularly to the church in Ephesus it's coming with a recipe if you like yeah. because uh, even if you try to be united only for the sake of unity doesn't mean anything but if we, if we are going to get to know God, Jesus, who united us in him through his sacrifice, then all problems can be quite easily sorted out, to say so. Yeah, I agree. Unity for unity's sake is pretty much a waste of time. There has to be a purpose. And this week we're studying about the key to unity or I like the word oneness better than unity. Mm. Uh, Brenton, the key that unites people in the Christian context is found in Galatians 3.28. Would you read that and then just 
highlight that issue? Certainly. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting because, first of all, we need to look at the breakdown that Paul is giving us. He's starting, first of all, with races. Jew and Greek. Mm -hmm. There was natural enmity between them. He's now talking about social classes, slave and free. There was enmity there again. Then he, he gradually brings it from national boundaries to social boundaries to a family environment where he talks about male and female. I believe some people then have misused this text. This is not saying that the functions of males and females have been changed as a result of Christ's death on Calvary. I believe what it is saying is that status-wise, as far as God is concerned, there is no difference whether it's social, whether it's national, or whether it's um, gender-based. We are all one in Christ because the previous verse says this, for as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. That, that includes everyone. There's not a single issue, there's not a single person, not a single race, nationality, gender or anything that is not covered by this statement. If you are baptised into Christ, you have put on Christ. Therefore, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Yes, of course, outside Christ, there are all these divisions. Ledger, you've got something to say. Paul invites here uh, the Ephesians to remember what their lives were like before they were received the grace of God in Christ. Ethnic, cultural and religious differences created animosity and conflicts between people grounds. But the good news is that in Christ we are all one people with a common Savior and Lord. We all belong to the people of God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Mm. It basically um, sums up, if you like, the fact that unity, at least in the church, is based on Christ. Yes. Will, would you read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and I'll ask the question before you read it, what does the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, urge believers to do? Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It seems that he is encouraging believers here, be, despite ethnic differences and cultural differences, to be patient with one another, love one another in Jesus Christ, and uh, thereby in Christ be a uniformed people non-segregated people. Len, can I suggest in, re in relationship to what he's actually stating here, he's giving it an order here. He's mentioning lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering. You cannot have gentleness and long-suffering without lowliness. The first one. 
Lowliness is what uh, Paul talks about in another one of his epistles, Philippians chapter 2, where he refers to uh, Christ having come in the form of a servant and made himself of no reputation. In our society, 2018, as our listeners would know quite well, the spoils, as it were, are to the strong. They are to those who put themselves on uh, clamour all over everybody else to get to the top, whether it's in sport, whether it's in uh, religion, whether it's in politics or whatever. The Christian way, lowliness, is the exact opposite. Therefore, what Paul is urging the believers to do and what we are saying today in 2018, a true Christian exhibits the exact opposite characteristics mm. of what the world uh, as a whole adopts in 2018. Yes. Now, that's not so easy. How <coughs> no. will? How does one achieve that humbleness and lowliness? I think the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, through the Spirit of God changes one indeed. And all of these gifts make us different people. It helps us to be patient and kind and loving and understanding. I, um, I'm challenged by the uh, statement in um, Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the body, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Yeah, the Apostle Paul is using the marriage covenant to explain how we should relate to Jesus Christ in mm. unity and understanding and submission. Yes, I believe the life of a Christian is controlled by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about a true Christian. There are some fake Christians around, of course, and it's possible when the Holy Spirit is working in your life to um, take a position of lesser importance, nevertheless might be of greater influence. Brenton, in Romans chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, uh, is some more advice given by the Apostle Paul. What is that? Let me read it for you. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. I think in reference, Len, to what we're discussing today, we need to contextualise Romans chapter 14. It's a, a chapter that you have probably heard personally and all of us here have often had discussions where people have said you're not to judge a person on pretty well anything. This chapter is specific. It's dealing with the issue of food offered to idols, whether uh, the Christians consider that to be an important issue or whether they considered as an idol was merely an object and therefore not worthy of worship. Uh, it wasn't to be considered, but Paul's saying, above all things, in order to be unified, you must consider your brother. Even though you may consider the food that you're about to eat is, is nothing, uh, your brother considers it very important because it's been offered to an idol. So really what Paul's saying here, I believe in summarising all of this, is be tender and gentle with one another. 
if your brother or sister has an issue with this particular thing, it's better to be in harmony with them than to be trying to draw distinctions between uh, these particular things. So I believe that's the message that comes out of these two verses. Yes, Paul uses that as an example, but I think it's got a wider application. Yes, yes. Uh, Ledger, would you read Romans 14, verse 10? There it gives a reason why we should not judge others. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So we we don't have the right to judge others uh, because as the text said, we too will be judged. And in verse 12 says that each of us will give an account to, of himself to God. Mm. Just think of the uh, two thieves hanging on the crosses when Jesus was crucified. Both had been caught stealing, and if one was judging the other and saying, you're a no-good rotter, blah, 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 um, what right would he have? He was there for the same reason. So this is, this is the thing. None of us is in a position to judge others because we too have sinned. We too are under judgment. What did you want to say there, Nick? I just want to uh, ponder a bit more on these uh, two things, others and unity. When we consider what God did for the human race, was just pointed out a bit uh, earlier, you know, that uh, through Jesus Christ, you know, through his sacrifice, we are to be united. Mainly people, they work together to unite themselves for the sake of the good of their own agenda. Mm. But look, you see here, God, and they were united, you know, in the Father and the Son, you know, the Holy Spirit, together, for the sake of others, for our sake. Now, if we are considering unity, we need to focus on exactly those uh, words which you just uh, pointed out a bit earlier about others, not to judge others for the benefit of others and so on. And probably here is the most difficult thing because even politically, many, uh, you know, countries in the world and empires, you know, they try to unite together for their own good. Yes. Not for the uh, benefit of others. Mm -hmm. And that's the change which God wants to... for for we to realize through Apostle uh, Paul when he is pointing out these things to really consider your brother, your neighbor, other people. Whatever you do, if you unite, doesn't mean that you are uh, compromising. No, yeah. because you're loving them, then you try to grow together in unity. Jesus spoke about this. And he said, what you do for other people, in reality, you're doing for me. Mm. And, uh, well... Would you read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7? And here we have a list of ones, seven of them, I think. Yes. <laughs> there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. 
but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So what, what's the purpose of all these ones? <laughs> love the repetition of the word one here. Clearly God is, uh, is constructing um, a, an absolute unity here in doctrine, in faith, and of course uh, in, um, in purpose amongst his people. The one body, one spirit. There's nothing that's divided in God's plan. In uh, a previous study, we talked about some of the followers of Christ in the Corinthian church at the time. Some followed Apollos, some followed Paul, some followed Demas, who was Peter, and some followed Jesus, according to what Paul wrote. And he said, well, this is no good. We should all be focused in the one way, one in Christ, and all the other ones follow. Brenton, would you like to share with what you've got there to share with us? There is but one body and one spirit, one Lord and one faith. We have touched upon that, of course. As members of the body of Christ, all believers are animated by the same spirit and the same hope. Divisions in the church dishonour the religion of Christ before the world and give occasion to the enemies of truth to justify their course. Paul's instructions were not written alone for the church in his day. God designed that they should be sent to down to us. What are we doing to preserve unity in the bonds of peace? There's a question, Len, or a comment that I would like to make in relationship to that, which I think is very relevant to our study today. I believe from what I have read that something like 35,000 different religions claim to be following Christ. How is it that if there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, there are so many schisms or so many different views on what the Lord taught? It, it's really something that we as Christians and our listeners uh, should consider carefully. Why is there such a difference of opinion if the unity that Christ prayed for and that we discussed in last week was to be found in knowing uh, Jesus Christ and God who had sent him why is it that we have such a such differences between different uh, religions and denominations in this day and age if there is one Lord, one faith and one baptism So can you answer your own question? It would probably take more than a little study time today but I think in simple terms if I could say this we need to have a look we need to go back to what did Jesus teach when he was here on this earth and we need to, to follow exactly the principles that Christ enunciated, not only the teachings that he uh, promoted but also the beliefs that he had. And uh, if we do that, I believe we can't go far wrong because he said that the oneness that he wanted his disciples to experience was because of the word that he had given them. Therefore, if we study the word of God as revealed by Jesus Christ, who came to reveal God to us, I believe there's the answer then. Mm. I mean, as you know, we, we're learning that Jesus descended from heaven to break the wall which separated us. Yes. To unite us. And he ascended to heaven to keep us united. 
And he's giving us that example that in me you will be one. And we have the example there that um, wife submit to your husband. Why? Because is that a, a, a how to say a different class or level of difference? Of course not. Mm-hmm. But because God gave instructions to the man to mm-hmm. be the leader of the house, to be the priest of the house, if you like. Yes. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And it's very important when we talk about why so many religions. Because everyone wants to live as they understand. Because they claiming to have free choice, which is so true. But our free choice needs to be exercised in the light of what Jesus did for us. Yes, I think the answer to that question is also found in this idea that some people accept parts of God's word and stop there. Others put on uh, interpretations that suit themselves and so this brings about this great variety within the Christian church. Now Galatians 3.28, which Brenton read earlier, Will, points out the key to unity, but it's also found in Ephesians 4.7. Would you read that and just explain? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The grace that we have given through the gift as a gift of Jesus Christ is the only thing that really unites us to him. Otherwise, our unity or our aspirations to unity is, a, uh, is an artificial construct. Mysterious. This, this um, unity in Christ is a mysterious uh, concept. Being united in Christ, in him, is something that he accomplishes by his grace and his love alone. Mm. We cannot create unity, an artificial unity within the church or amongst ourselves. It is really a gift of God. Yes. If I could add to that, uh, Len, uh, what Will has said, I think this is very important in 2018. The Holy Spirit, many uh, Christian denominations, in fact all, claim to be led by the Holy Spirit. The important issue, as I see here, and uh, what Will read earlier on in Ephesians 4, 4 to 7, is that the Holy Spirit determines who gets what gift and for what use. Mm -hmm. There is not a commonality of the use of the Holy Spirit. The only commonality is that the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to the individual. But as far as the gifts that the person is gifted with, the Holy Spirit determines that, as Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I think we can extrapolate from that something very important. We need to affirm and encourage each uh, brother and sister in Christ, each person, each member in Christ, with the gifts that God has given them. Because God, in his knowledge, has given us gifts so that the whole body, which is his church functions efficiently just the same as you know Len having worked in the mechanical industry you can put a motor together but if you leave certain parts out of it it doesn't function efficiently in the church 
all of these gifts are given for one specific purpose that the church of god may as it were operate like a rolls royce that okay. it may function efficiently all right and that's so true uh i was just thinking um it came into my mind uh, a survey a study which was done uh, some while ago about around this question why so many religions or churches and um, the two main reasons and there are many others but uh, two main reasons where people will will uh, will bring up they were like inheritance or convenience now both of these things doesn't have to do anything with uh, our adoption in god's family good point now god of course gives these gifts and there are certain gifts listed, and I'll uh, lead you, if you wouldn't mind, reading for Ephesians 4.11 a minute. But God gives these gifts for a specific reason, which we'll talk about soon. But we have to recognise that God loves his church. He loves his people. And he doesn't want it to be like what I've heard some people say, a bucket full of crabs. He wants the church to be organised. God is a God of order. So in addition to the gift of grace, Ledger, what gifts of leadership did God give to the church? In Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 11, it says that it was he, it means Jesus Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Um, and in the next verse, verse uh, 12, it's uh, showing us the two reasons that these gifts were given. To prepare God's people for works of service, first reason, and the second one, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Mm. So these are the two reasons, to prepare God's people for service and to build up the body of Christ, which is his church yes now we could talk about the, uh, God's people being prepared for service I guess there are quite a few who don't do much service but anyhow that's another issue we won't discuss it today um, Will why is the church called the body of Christ this is a rather interesting thought I love that uh, the Apostle Paul has brought out the thought that the head of the church the brain the the leader of the church is Jesus Christ and that we are his arms and his legs and and um, to do what he directs us to do as a as a body is connected to a to a head let me read you the text Ephesians 1 verse 22 and 23 and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Everyone should be involved in, uh, everyone that is believing or a servant of Christ should be involved in uh, showing others the way to him, because that's his commission to the church as such, that we should be, uh, that we should spread the gospel and share Jesus Christ to the entire world. Mm. It's not just the ministers, teachers, no. um, evangelists and so on. Everybody is part of the body of Christ, but certain people have been given 
special commission, special abilities in order to lead the church, to make it effective. And probably I'll just say something about that, Len. Uh, in my view is that not necessarily they were given special. They were divinely appointed, if you like, to care about the church, the family of God. That's why, because sometimes people thinking that they are special in their calling, and the clergy came up, where um, uh, people expect that, they, you know, that other people are, they just need to follow what they are saying. Actually, it's not the case. Those people who are, for example, um, as Lija just read in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and from verse 11, uh, those people who are apostles, and in this case, Apostle Paul, what had him to say about himself? Was he a leader? Was he somebody? Or he said he's the chief of the sinners. He's the servant of all people. What about the prophets? Uh, Moses, for example, said, God, if you want to cut off these people from your face, cut me off from the book of life. They were thinking of others, not of themselves. Evangelists, when they go out there, the evangelists, the pioneers, they used to sacrifice their lives to reach out to others. But in our days, when you mention the word evangelist, people think of private or, or businesses, you know, with a lot of evangelists having their fleet of jets and other things. You know what I mean? In the context, we need to, to look at these things, what God meant when he said that I'll give talents to people and some will be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all of this for the well-being, for the growth, for the unity of the church, which is the body yes, of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he raised an interesting thing there. I heard on the news a few months ago, there was one fairly famous, important, well-recognized televangelist in America and he asked his congregations for donations because he wanted to buy a third jet plane. Well, it seems a little bit wrong. He certainly was not interested in uh, serving others. He was more interested in serving himself. Reg Lydia, would you read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15? Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul is trying to say to us that we we have to make, we have to use any kind of opportunities to be a light in the world. Uh, we know that Christianity cannot be lived in a vacuum. We are living up there to be torches of light, mm. uh, to be uh, the salt of, of his people. And uh, this it means to be submitted to one another, um, to be in connection with uh, with the Holy Spirit and uh, with His people, with all the people around us, uh, family, f family, church people, co-workers, wherever we go, uh, to touch people's hearts and uh, use every opportunity. Submission uh, is a part of. Um, uh, inner quality that expresses our reverence for Christ and his sacrifice for us. So what sort of day-to-day -day things could you see as an opportunity? Opportunity comes uh, in our daily lives, like uh, uh, going to work 
if you use a bus, you can interact with many people on the bus station and in the bus. Or if you travel by car, you can have opportunities to meet people at work, uh, you know, walking in the streets to the market, to the shopping center. Mm. Uh, everywhere, wherever you go, you meet people, you have friends. So you, you have to use every opportunity to be a light in the world. And when people will see us the way we are, they will ask questions. How come you are so happy? How come you are so uh, content? Uh, how come you, uh, you are so patient uh, and so kind? So in this way, we can show the light of the Lord from us that is, is spreading towards people which are around us and talk to people about Jesus' love. Mm, that's good. All right, Brenton, would you read Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16? I think it's verse 18, Lee. Is it 18? Yes. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, why shouldn't God's people get drunk? Perhaps a couple of comments would uh, suffice here. The average person today, when they get drunk, uh, generally uh, it goes one of two ways. First of all, it clouds their judgment, and uh, that's why we have road rules that say that you should not uh, operate a vehicle of any type when you've been drinking. It also causes fights. It causes disputes and um, controversies between people. And people, basically, once they're drunk, their better judgment is clouded. It's very significant, Len, that when you deal with the prophetic portions of Scripture, such as the book of Revelation, you find in the book of Revelation that the wine in Revelation, spiritual wine, is referred to as beclouding the senses mm. of those who claim to be God's followers so that they are confused as to what God wants them to do. Um, so... The simple uh, breakdown of this is, I believe that it's saying don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's really contrasting. For those who drink, uh, they would know that the after effects, what we call the hangover, is not good. What Paul is contrasting a physical condition with, I believe, is a spiritual thing, that if you are filled with the Spirit, you will have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. The high that is produced by having God's Spirit living in your life cannot compare whatsoever with the aftermath of drinking too much wine. Yes, when people are drunk, they often act irresponsibly, and God wants his people to act responsibly, Yes, to represent him to other people. Everything that is positive is never called uh, challenge to be um, brought into moderation, love, kindness, goodness. We're never called upon to to go easy on these things or moderate on these things. Mm. Moderation in these things. However, it is said so about um, about wine. So clearly, this uh, there is a negative context in the scriptures if it's calling for moderation. Mm. Brenton, would you read Ephesians five nineteen? Yes, certainly. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So what does this mean? How do you understand this? Rather an interesting text. Uh, my explanation of it would be it's a continuation, I believe, from uh, verse 18 in the second part, where it says, rather than be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. 
when a person is filled with the Spirit, there is not only melody in a person's heart, but sometimes it's expressed in music. Now, psalms were uh, in the Old Testament were a means of uh, giving praise to God. In the New Testament, we call them hymns and spiritual songs. And uh, singing and making melody in your heart can simply be the joy of knowing that you were saved, that the Holy Spirit has predestined you to be adopted as the sons and daughters of God. That sort of thing can't help but produce a spontaneous reaction, both in your relationships with other people, but also within your own heart. Mm. It's possible to be singing to yourself without uh, other people observing it. Well, having a song in your heart and a happy yes, disposition same thing. is uh, is good. Um, <clears throat> you, if you go on and read the, the very next text, uh, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, good text. Um, giving thanks always for all things. I think it gets tough when you get sick, though. Mm. when you're suffering pain and uh, adversity. It's possible and it's necessary for us to keep a faithful and cheerful disposition even in a time of trial. Yeah. And it's only given to us by, by Christ Jesus and his grace. Mm. Before we go on with this, Lydia was hoping to say something here. When we meet to one another, as Brenton mentioned, we have to speak with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It means this gives us, uh, unite us yes. in, in one body. Uh, so inspiring conversations, inspiring words, uh, words of encouragement to one another. Uh, and as Pastor uh, Grobler said, uh, in love, in kindness, and uh, um, because God is... God is love. God is joy. God puts a song in our hearts with joy. So we have to encourage one another because on this earth there is no joy. There is no happiness. We cannot find uh, uh, joyful people outside there unless they are drunk and drugged <laughs> and so on. Because yeah, there's nothing good on this earth. So we have to uh, encourage people. We have to encourage one another with these kind words of Jesus. All right, good. Well, uh, Will, would you read Ephesians five twenty one? Now this can be a very controversial uh, thought, and I hope you can explain it. Verse twenty one of Ephesians chapter five: Submitting yourselves one to another. In the fear of God, submission of one to another person is not easy, but we need to serve one another, love one another, put others as more important to ourselves. In reality, it's not easy. In fact, um, this refers to the proper attitude of humility and thoughtfulness yes. that uh, we should have toward people. Of course, this is not a natural attribute of most personalities, but it is the result of the Spirit's living, Spirit living in our hearts. It is a gift, a gift of the same Spirit who is the bond of unity in Christ. And viewed from this perspective, submission is an inner quality that expresses our reverence for Christ and his sacrifice for us. Ephesians is a lot of good advice. 
Apostle Paul gives a lot of advice to Christians. And those verses there from Ephesians 15 to 21, which we've just had a look at, they are telling us about how Christians should live. Now, how does that relate to having unity within the church? And when I say the church, I'm talking about the Christian church. Legion? Unity in the church, as I uh, said before, is through the submission to one another, through loving one another, and uh, out of reverence for Christ. So if we love the Lord our God, we revere Him, we submit to Him, and also we submit to one another. Mm. So what happens in one's personal life carries over into the church. Brenton, if you uh, look through the verses, Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 23, it talks about a husband and wife. How does that have bearing on the oneness or the unity within the church? It's an interesting question, Len. Perhaps I'll read verse 22 and 23 quickly. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church and he is the saviour of the body. I believe these are some of the, the most misused texts in scripture where men have, because of what God originally gave them in the Garden of Eden, when they were to be the head of the home, they have misused this position of theirs to dominate their wives, their children and their social relationships. Paul is actually using relationships, Len, that are familiar in the world in which he wrote, but which are also uh, similar to today. He's using them and then comparing them with the relationship that we should have uh, with Christ. He says down in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The simple answer to this is that Christ is everything to the church, absolutely everything. He, he's washed her, he has cleansed her, he has covered her with his robe of righteousness, he has washed her in his blood by his death on Calvary, and we owe absolutely everything, and yet he treats us with such tenderness. He treats us as the bridegroom, he treats us as his bride. And we know that the only thing on earth that Christ bestows his supreme regard on is his church. And uh, therefore, the analogy of a husband and wife and the way a husband should tenderly treat his wife and submit to her and her to him, I believe is a perfect analogy um, in the human sense of what Christ desires for us. Because he, one of his last words were, I did not come down to this earth to be served, but to serve. And if we have that, um, not mantra, but if we have that particular view and we apply that to our relationships between husbands and wives, between church members, I believe our world will be a lot better place. Somebody pointed out to me once from Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And then he points out, she pointed out in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love yes. your wives as, Christ uh, as a you. kind of excuse. Well, you know, wives submit to your husbands, but they don't have to love their husbands. I don't think that... Uh, is a, a valid point to make. No, no and it's not. And it's not what um, the Bible is saying because Christ's love for his church is so deep 
that it is difficult for us to understand, but it is reflected in the simple fact where Paul says he gave himself for her. Yeah. I mean, there is one saying there in this world uh, which goes a bit like this, behind uh, every successful man there is a great woman. But what I want to say with this is that submission doesn't mean like uh, to be a lower class. Mm. No, it's not talking about that. No, but submission means exactly what we as church, we are the bride, the bride of Jesus, and will submit to Jesus, will do what he asks us to do, because he will say, if you love me, you keep my commandments. But unfortunately, those churches which we talked about, the, why so many denominations? Because each one, they think that they have a better idea how to follow uh, the, the groom. Mm. Okay. Now, we're getting close to the end. Will, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, is advice given to uh, people how to treat their children and their servants. Could you just sum that up very quickly? Yes, um, children have been asked here to obey the Lord and obey obey their parents and to honour the father and the mother, uh, that it may be well with them. Fathers are called upon not to provoke the children to wrath, but to nurture and admonish admonish them in love. And then he goes even further to say that servants need to be obedient to uh, their masters according to uh, the fear of the Lord well, yes, according to Christ. Um, I think that uh, we've learned a lesson that uh, the kind of harmony that Paul is trying to share with us here, harmony and peacefulness, uh, love and understanding should pervade all of our homes, should pervade (coughs) church life, um, as well as our place of work. We should understand and love and uh, treat one another above ourselves. Yes, now the key to Christian unity is Christ. To serve and honour Christ, our Redeemer. Without Christ, unity is meaningless. Mm. In the last few moments that we have today, does anybody have what I like to call a take-home message for the listeners? Legend? Yes, I, I will remain in my heart with the message that Jesus Christ came on earth to unite his people with God, to restore them. He is is the source of unity, only Jesus. So we have to remain connected in him. Remaining connecting in him, it means that includes me that I am chosen, I am already predestined and uh, adopted, as well as receiving grace, redemption, forgiveness, and also a seal of the warranty that one day I will be reunited with Jesus. Mm. Anybody else? I would say, uh, Lynn, that uh, in summary, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, which I'll read again, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness, gentleness, 
long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. If that principle was enunciated in not only our religious relationships but our personal relationships, mm. what a wonderful world this would be. Yes, I agree. If only we could <coughs> love one another as Christ has loved us. Um, Christ came, in my mind, to break down every wall of partition. He uh, came to show that his gift of mercy and love is as unconfined as the air, the light, the showers of rain that refresh the earth. God's love and uh, what is what unifies us all together, and only he can accomplish that yes. if we would give him the chance. And as we recognize, nobody is higher than anybody else because no. being one in Christ. Well, that's about it for today. We'll just have a word of prayer before we finish. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the advice given your people and really the people of the world in the book of Ephesians, the hand of your servant, the Apostle Paul. We pray that we might practice these things and recognize that none of us is higher than another. We are all equal in Christ. Thank you for these precious words that we've been able to study today. We pray that you'll bless the listeners as they listen to. In Jesus' name we ask this. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, panel, for all these uh, uh, wonderful thoughts and uh, discussion about this uh, subject of the key uh, to unity. And um, I would like to invite each one of you that you'll have Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life, to be united in him. Until next time, may God bless you.